He says, now enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So why does Jesus use this word gate? What's he talking about? To understand it, you really got to go back to Deuteronomy, the 16th chapter. And it says, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with judgment. So in Scripture, the gate is the place of judgment. The gate of the city is where all the judges, the rulers, the leaders would come. That's where all the officers and those type of people would sit, like council members, like mayors, like judges. They sat at the gate, executing judicial law. He's saying to them, this is a place where you come for the sentencing and punishing. Very few people are going to find me when you come to sentencing and punishing. Because I'm not a sentencing and punishing God. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. I want you today to put your hands together, Victorious Life, for Dr. Ray Kirkland as he comes to minister God's Word this morning. Amen. What a blessing it is to be with you today. I am excited for all that God's doing. You know, the, the word favor is really a, a word like an elevator. Uh, when you have favor, you're elevated above. How many of you know you've been elevated in this church? Uh, maybe you don't understand that, but in three years to have all that you have, to have this facility, this people, all that's going on, this is God's favor. Amen. You are living in God's favor, and God has been really, really good to you. And not only that, you're blessed with a great pastor and wife. Amen. They're a great couple. I have known Pastor Tim for for many, many years. If you want to know the dirty, I got it all. <laughs> Amen. So I know all the stuff, and so God is God has really, really blessed you. He's a great man. He has a heart for you. For you, I can promise you that He'll always have a heart for you. Amen. He cares for you. He loves you, and His wife is a precious jewel. Amen. And God has been good to him. Amen. So we're excited this morning to be with you. Uh, the Lord has been doing great things in our lives. I, if, I think some of you know me. My family, I think, knows me, and others of you just getting to know me, amen. Uh, I've been pastoring in Pasco, Washington. That's where we're at now. The Lord took, we took a church about a little over a year and a half ago, I think it was, about 40 people, and this morning we hope to have 250, 300 people there. And uh, the Lord is really helping us. The church is growing. In the meantime, we we're connected all over the world. I just came back from Ireland and then Mexico and, and just everywhere. God is moving all over the earth. Amen. And it's exciting what he's doing. And so I'm excited to be here with you this morning. I feel 
just blessed to be here and uh, be a part of this congregation in that I'm a board member with Victorious Life, so I wanted to come and see what God was doing, and I'm blown away. Amen. I am blown away. I feel the favor of the Lord in the house. I feel the anointing of the Lord. I feel the goodness of God, and it's exciting. Amen, amen, amen. This morning, I'm going to minister a simple message the Lord laid on my heart, and I, I, I pray it'll trust, touch your heart in some way. I want to preach to you this morning a door in the valley of trouble, a door in the valley of trouble. Oh, it doesn't show back there. Okay. That, see, that's a door and a gate, so we're going to talk about that. Amen. And I want to start out of the book of Matthew, the seventh chapter. If you would just, um, I think we'll have the text on the screen up there, but you can follow along. And I want to read Matthew 7, verse 13 as I begin. Oh, before I go any further, let me introduce my lovely wife, Gail. Would you stand and say hello to everybody? Just wave your hand. That is my wife. She keeps me in track. She keeps me in order. And she's definitely the better half. Amen. <laughs> Matthew 7, verse 13. It says, enter by the narrow gate. Notice the word gate. And for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Now that's something that has confused many believers for a long time, because it says that there's not very many people, few are going to find their way to heaven. That's what it sounds like it's saying. sounds like few are going to get their way into heaven. Let's look at Luke 13, verse 24. As you jump down the passage a little bit, it says, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So he's talking about here, these are only two places where Jesus says these words. He says, strive to enter by the narrow gate, but only a few of you will ever make it that way, and most of you will never make it. Now that's what he's saying. That's kind of scary. So what is the narrow gate? A lot of people have told me over the years that the gate is Jesus. Well, if that's true, then it's telling us that only a few people are going to make it to heaven. So, so I want to I talk about that and help you to understand what he's saying here. This text is a statement that Jesus has made. Let's look at how we came into the text, okay? Just a little bit of how, what was going on before that. Jesus is facing crucifixion. He's been ministering now for about three years. He's getting ready to go to the crucifixion. He is not dead yet, okay? He has not paid the price on Calvary yet. And here's what he said earlier in the text, in, or, uh, in the text says, Luke 13, 20, uh, 22 says, and he went through the cities and the villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. He's on his way to be crucified. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? Now the word saved there cannot mean washed by the blood. It cannot mean filled with the Holy Spirit because Jesus hasn't died for the sins yet. Okay, so that word saved has nothing to do with salvation in that passage. Saved means being saved from the pharisaical lifestyle. It means to be saved from destructive legalistic living. So in this passage, if you look the word saved up in the actual Greek, in Hebrew it means present passive participle, which means that it's not referring to something in the future, but it's talking about what's happening at that present time. So the question is this. They're asking Jesus, can anybody actually come away from pharisaical living? Can anybody actually be saved from being a legalist and and follow you? Because we don't see very many disciples living the way you live, Lord. We don't see very many people doing what you do. And so they're, they're struggling with this idea. Then Jesus comes along and he says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. Okay, now the word strive 
is agathesene, which means to agony or agonize. So it would actually read this way. Agonize to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Then he goes right into this next passage and he says, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door. Now let's stop right here. Now we have a gate and we have a door. We have a gate and a door. He's talking about enter the narrow gate and now he talks about the door. How many of you know that gates and doors are two different things? They're two different things. In the Greek, just so you can understand this, uh, Pastor Tim helped me to see something the other night. A lot of NIV and different translations interchange the words, and I don't know why they do it. But in the original language, okay, the word gate is the word pulon, and the word door is the word thura. Okay, that's in Greek. In Hebrew, the gate is bashar, and the door is laptak. In our Aramaic, gate is shahar, and door is tara. What my point is, is that they're different. They're not the same in any language. A gate and a door are two different things. They're not the same thing. So I want you to have, everybody say amen. You understand that? We got to get that. That's very important. They're not the same thing. So let's go back. It says, now when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. So you taught in our streets. That tells us he's speaking to Jewish people here. So Jesus is saying this. Listen to me carefully. Jesus is saying to the Jewish people that you're going to come to a gate. You're going to enter the gate. After you go through the front gate, you're going to come up to the front door. Okay? So there's, they're going to actually hit two places. They're going to go to a gate and then a door. And then when they come to the door, the door's going to be shut. Okay, let's read on. But I will say to you, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Okay, is everybody with me so far? We have gates, we have doors. He's saying you can't, very few people, if anybody, will ever make it through the gate. Very few are going to find their way that way. But when you come to the door, often you're going to find that door closed, and he's going to say, I don't know you. He's talking to Jewish people. Remember that. It's important. He's talking to Jewish people. Now let's read. Keep that in your thought. Let's go to Matthew 7, and I'll tie all this together for you. Matthew 7, 13. He says, now enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So why does Jesus use this word gate? What's he talking about? To understand it, you really got to go back to Deuteronomy, the 16th chapter. And it says, you shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which the Lord your God gives you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. So in scripture, the gate is the place of judgment. The gate of the city is where all the judges, the rulers, the leaders would come. That's where all the officers and those type of people would sit like council members, like mayors, like judges, they sat at the gates. This was the place of, of, of executing judicial law. This was the place of legal, uh, the place of the law. So the gate represents the law. Jesus, when he uses the word gate, is talking about the Old Testament Mosaic law. He's saying to them, this is a place where you come for the sentencing and punishing. Very few people are going to find me when you come to sentencing and punishing. 
Because I'm not a sentencing and punishing God. Amen. Very few people are going to find their way when they come to that gate. It might be a broad way. A lot of people preach it, hell, fire, and brimstone. But very few people are actually going to get to know me if you come that way. Okay, are you following me so far? Very few people are going to ever catch on if you keep preaching that hard legalistic stuff to me. Okay, so he says, so what is the door? Now, remember, the door is different. John 10, verse 1 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, if you don't come in by the door, but you come in some other way, the same person that comes in another way is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So here's what Jesus is saying. If you don't come through the door, then you're a thief and a robber. Mm. Who is the door? John 10, 7. When Jesus said again to them, most assuredly. Let me stop right there. Most assuredly is a covenant word. It's just like any time in the Bible when you say amen, amen, or truly, truly, or most assuredly. Anytime it's in two, it's covenant. Okay, it's covenant. So he's speaking to them about a covenant principle here, covenant language. He says, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He does not say I am the gate. He says I am the door. So why does he say to agonize through the gate? Remember who he's talking about. He's talking to these self-righteous, self-promoting, legalistic Jewish people. Okay, that's who he's talking to. He says, in all of your pride and on all of your tradition, you've been agonizing to come through the Mosaic law to reach heaven. You've been trying to know God by all the right things you do, how perfect you are, how, how well you think you are, how great you think you are, but you're not ever going to measure up because the law is designed to make you know that you can't. Okay? And so he says, the more you strive, the harder you try to be Mr. Perfect Christian, you're going to find out you're not. Hey, uh, you can say amen or look at your wife and say amen. <laughs> amen. There is never... Any striving in Scripture at the door. Look at John 10, verse 7. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me, who's he talking about? Who came before him? The Pharisees, the religious rule makers, are thieves. They're robbers. But the sheep do not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. No agonizing mentioned. No struggle mentioned, and he will go in and out and find pasture. If you come through Christ, you're going to find pasture, provision, supply. It's good things for the sheep, amen. But if you go in that old hard legalistic way, what thou shalt and thou shalt not, you're never going to find provision. You're going to struggle all your life. You're never going to know the love of God. You're never going to really feel the goodness of God, amen. For all my life, I preached on that dark side of the cross. I preached them into hellfire. Amen. I, you could feel the flames licking up and cutting the hair off your legs. When I got done preaching, hallelujah, I preached hell right out of hell into the church. Oh, amen, amen. But I finally learned that doesn't really help people. They're scared. They run to an altar, but they walk out and live the same life they always lived. Because they never really entered into the fullness of life. They never really caught on. So, so he says whenever something is, is brought that way, Whenever you live around that legalistic, hardcore mindset, you're being stolen from. You're being robbed. Something's being taken from your life. It's stealing from you. It's the work of the devil. So what is the devil's favorite work? The devil's favorite work is legalistic mindsets. Legalistic mindsets. Well, you know, I can't work today because it's Saturday. Well, you, that's why you're poor. 
Amen. Okay, so, so Satan works through people. See, people are always trying to appease God by living just perfectly, by doing just right, by I didn't mess up, I didn't cuss, I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I didn't, and they're trying to appease God to be acceptable. And God says the more you try to do that, the worse it's going to be in your life. Oh, amen, I'm going somewhere. Am I saying you should do those things? I'm not saying you should do those things. I'm saying that you should live for Jesus. Amen. Okay, he is the door, he is the way. The thief does not come but to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus says, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Hallelujah. There are many poor, rich people. I know people that are poor financially, but they're rich in their spirit. And there are many rich people that are poor. Okay, they're rich in, they're, they're, they're rich in faith, poor in the world, or, or, or rich in the world and poor in faith. But Jesus says if you really want to live life, if you want life more abundantly, quit trying to be all of this and other, all these things. He says, come to the door. Come to me. Come through me. Trust me, and I will take you into pastures. I will take you into places where there's provision for your life, supply for your life, joy in your family. Your children will actually come to church with you again. Amen. I've got all church filled with seniors and none of their kids come to church. Because in those generations they preached hellfire and brimstone and those kids no longer serve God. Amen. I'm just telling you the truth. So we're changing things in our church. We're preaching a little bit different and we're seeing a difference because the door is grace. What is grace? Grace is God's ability to work in you doing what you could not do for yourself. That's what grace is. God doing for you what you can't do for yourself. So we've been preaching grace, amen. Law is rules and regulations that you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this. And it's a spiritual dynamic. I don't have to do anything I want to. Listen, I don't not commit adultery to get my wife to love me. I don't commit adultery because I love my wife. Amen. I got quiet in here. I better come back and preach on marriage or something around here. Let me, let me show you a little bit deeper. I want to take you a little deeper, okay? The rich young ruler is the next uh, passage that the Lord talks about. So he's talking about these gates. He's talking about doors. He's talking about robbers. He's talking about all this stuff. Then he comes to the story of the rich young ruler. Many of you remember that story. And it says, the rich young ruler comes to him. He says, what shall we do to inherit eternal life? Now, the Bible scholars, all of us Bible scholars that know in here that we should say, well, believe on me. If you believe on me, Jesus should have said, believe on me, and you'll inherit eternal life. But Jesus sensed something in this rich young ruler. He sensed that he was a Jewish man filled with tradition, filled with pride, filled with self-satisfaction. And so Jesus pointed him to the gate. I want you to notice this. He points him to the gate. It says it this way. Jesus says, you know the commandments, Luke 18, 20. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Now listen to the young man's pride. This is what Jesus had sensed in him. And he said, all these things I have done from my youth. See how proud how pride he is? He's, I've been living clean for God since I was a boy. Now I want you to catch something. I want to jump out of that just for a minute. Mark does something beautiful. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John often tell the same stories. Mark's account of this story is awesome. It says in Mark 10, 21, then Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him, and, 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 and so I want you to catch that. And that love says these words, Go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. So Jesus' love says to this man, Look, young man, you have a choice. You can continue to live by all the rules and the laws. 
You can continue to live by serving the world and serving mammon, or you can choose God, to choose to love God. Now, what's your choice? You can go sell all you have and love God, or you can continue on loving the world and doing what you do. And the Bible says the rich young man walked away sorrowfully. So Jesus, I want you to hear this, because he's watching the young man's attitude. He realizes, he says, this guy is going to still continue to live by the law, so I'm going to point him right to the gate. Go live by the gate if that's what you want. Go live by the gate. Go be Mr. Holy, Mr. Perfect. Go live that life. See how that works out for you. And the young man went away sorrowful. Now the very next chapter after that, we come to the story of a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is hated by everybody. Nobody likes this guy because he's a tax collector. He's cheated and robbed everybody in town. He's a, he's, he's a bad guy. But listen to what it says in Luke 19.5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. He's up in a tree. Zacchaeus is up in a tree. There's a crowd of people. He's up in a tree trying to see. And said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste, came down, and received him joyfully. Now, he was so impacted By what happened at his house, listen to the next words. He says, look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it to them fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Now I want you to see the difference here. To the rich young ruler who was full of himself, who is going to live holy and be a perfect guy and live all this life, Jesus says, okay, if you want to live like that, you can live with the law. Go to the gate. Keep the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, don't do it. But to Zacchaeus, who is convicted, who says, God, I just need your help. I just, I just need you in my life. He says to him, I give you grace. Salvation is yours today. Are you listening to what I'm saying today? The one man would not turn loose of the treasure. The other man says, I'll give it fourfold. I just need Jesus in my life. I just need Jesus in my life. And so the results are totally different when you go to the gate or to the door. If you choose to live your life that hardcore style and everything's hellfire and brimstone, then you're going to live by hellfire and brimstone. The more you preach on sin, guess what? If you keep planting the seeds of sin to your children, the more the sin's going to grow in their life. You keep telling them, thou shalt not, you better not do that, you better not do that, guess what they're going to do? Because you're planting the seeds. Amen, amen, amen. For years we've preached about, you know, to the needs. And what do we have? A church filled with needy people. Amen. Because we've got this whole thing wrong. We think it's holy, and we think it's this this real Christian thing to, to be stark and hard like that. But the more you're like that, the more you get that. What you sow, you reap. Amen. So Jesus says, look, if you want to live by the law, you're going to suffer and be sorrowful with the law. But if you want to come over here to grace and to the door in relationship, you're going to find out life is good. Life is prosperous. There's a valley. There's blessing in your life. There's good things for you in your marriage. You don't have to live like that. Your children can actually serve God in the church and have a good time. Oh, amen. Let's keep moving. Joseph and his brothers, back in the Old Testament. Now, how many of you remember the story of Joseph and his brothers? Who am I? Let me see how, what kind of Christians we have in here. So most of you have been around a while. You know, you know the story. Joseph was the guy with the many-colored coat, and his dad or his family sold him off. Remember that? His brother sold him to, to the Ishmaelites. Actually, that was his cousins. Can you imagine selling your brother to your cousins? That's what you call a dysfunctional family. <laughs> and off into the prison he goes, and then the Potiphar's wife and all that stuff, and he ends up the second most powerful. Man in the land. How many, you remember the story? Now he's in power, and his brothers are over there in Israel, and their land is in famine. 
They're in famine. So they've come to Egypt. They don't even know who Joseph is no more. They don't recognize him. He's dressed up like an Egyptian, got the makeup on, the little hat and all the stuff. They don't recognize him. He looks like a metrosexual. They, they, th- they threw him off. No, it's true. It's true. Go look at the pictures. It, 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 it's, it's he had big makeup on, white on his face. That's the way they dressed him. Okay? And so he had to dress like that. He was the second in charge. And so his brothers don't even recognize him. So the second time, this, we're going to pick up the story. The second they've come, they've asked for something. Joseph has allowed it to go into their life. Now it's the second time they're coming back. That's where I want to pick up the story. And this time, what Joseph told him, he said, okay, I'm going to help you, but I know that you have a brother that he had never seen his little brother, Benjamin. He said, I want you to go back to Israel, and you bring back Benjamin. And here's the story. It says in Genesis 43, 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them. Let me stop right there. If you study the life of Joseph, you will find that he is a type or a picture of Jesus Christ. 30 different things that happened to him. He went into the prison, came out on the third, you know, you follow me? All the different types of Joseph are, it's amazing, he's a type of Jesus. Well, he's now looking at Benjamin. Benjamin is the next generation, a younger generation, his younger brother. So now when Jesus looks at the Benjamin generation, he says to the steward of his house, I want you to notice something here. The steward is not named. Who do you think the steward is in a typology? Who do you think the type is? The Holy Spirit. He's a picture of the Holy Spirit. He's the steward of all of God's riches. He's the steward of all of God's riches of the Holy Spirit. And so he does, the Holy Spirit never draws attention to himself. So his name is not mentioned here. Okay? It says, take these men to my home, slaughter an animal, and make ready for these men will dine with me at noon. So here's the story. When Benjamin, when the next generation comes to be with Jesus, Jesus is going to throw a party and provision is going to be made. Amen. That's what's getting ready to happen, okay? And the Holy Spirit is going to arrange this. Can I tell you Jesus is getting ready to throw a party in Arizona? He really is. There's a move of God getting ready to happen in Arizona. Okay, and so provision is being made. The Holy Spirit is arranging it. Now let's go on. It says in in verse 17, Then the man did as Joseph ordered, And the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we we are brought in so that he may make a case against us and seize us and take us as slaves with our donkeys. Now let me give you a little background. The first time these brothers had come, they had asked for grain and for provision. Joseph had given them grain and provision. They'd loaded their mules down with all of this stuff. And then what they'd done is they'd paid Joseph uh, for that. Well, when they weren't looking, Joseph took the money and stuck it back in those sacks. In other words, in other words, the type is here that you cannot buy the bread of life. You cannot buy the bread of life. So he stuck the money back in the bag because you can't buy the bread of life. It's a type. It's a picture. Okay. Are you with me so far? So now the brothers, they get home and they see the money in the bag and they know, uh oh, we're going to look like thieves and robbers here. We're going to look wrong. We're going to look bad. So when they drew near to the stewards of the Joseph's house, they talked or communed with him. Now notice where they're at, at the door of the house. The door is the place of communion and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Oh, I don't know if you're following me or not. Okay, do you want the Holy Spirit to talk with you? How many of you want the Holy Spirit to talk with you? Then you can't go to the gate. He doesn't talk at the gate. He talks at the door. If you want God to talk with you, if you want to hear the voice of the Lord, you're going to have to quit being legalistic and you're going to have to come to grace. 
Because he doesn't talk to you in that old hardcore legalistic way. God doesn't deal with people that are that rough and tough and mean and ornery. Amen. So many preachers have sent thousands of people to hell in Jesus' name. I mark you in the name of Jesus. I can't, I've got to cut you off because you're foul and filthy. You've heard it and you know you have. Okay, but the Holy Spirit says, I'll meet you at the door. The door is the place of grace. The door is the place of communion. The door is the place of provision. Your bags are filled and the gold is there. Amen. You're at that. I'll meet you there. And, but he said, peace be to you. Do not be afraid. So, so here's the Holy Spirit. He said, you guys don't need to be afraid. They haven't even told him yet that they've got the money. But the Holy Spirit knows all things. Amen. And the Holy Spirit says, you're at the door. You're at the place of grace. You're with the master. The master is a giving God, a loving God. He's a God with a yes face. You know, the Pharisees always start off with no. Oh, everything you want. Hey, Dad, can we go to the movie? No. Dad, can we have a Coke? No. Can we drink coffee? No. Everything pharisaical starts with a no. Jesus comes along and he says yes. Everybody goes, whoa, who's this guy? Jesus was the first one in history with a yes face. First one in history with a yes face, amen. He comes along and he starts saying yes. He, he hung out with the wine bibblers. He hung out with the prostitutes. He said yes, there's a way for you to make it in. Yes, I'll, let, I'll love you. Yes, there's a door for you too, yes. The Pharisees have said no, we'll stone you. No, we'll kill you and your dog and your animals. We'll kill your mama too. Amen. So Jesus comes along with a yes face. So now the Holy Spirit's saying to him, look, you can be at peace. You don't have to worry about this. You're at the place of the master's house. The master loves you. The master says yes. The master's giving you bags full of, of provision. The master cares about you. Your, now, watch what he says. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Oh, let's stop right there. He brought Simeon out to them. Let me go back. Here's what the Holy Spirit said. He said, your God, your God has put treasure in your sack. You know what? Almost every Jewish person I know, in fact, there's a book out called uh, Rabbis and Prosperity. I forget the exact name of it. I've got the book. Um, anyway, it talk, you will never find a poor rabbi. Go find one. Go find a poor rabbi out there. Go see if you can find one. There's something that God has done that's a favor on his Jewish people. Jewish people have an anointing to make money. They have an anointing to make money. Amen. The youngest billionaire ever, his name was Dustin uh, Muscovich. He was the youngest billionaire ever, a Jewish young boy. Your film industry, all of the Spielbergs, the Hoffmans, all of those people, all your film industry is filled with Jewish people. Amen. Jewish people have an ability to make great money. And so the Holy Spirit said to them, it's God who's putting that money in your sack. It's God who's doing that. So here's the story to us. This is a type. It's a picture. God will also do the same thing for us. He will put money in our sack. He will help us in our time. If we quit living by the law, we start coming to the door. We start embracing people at a different level. We start loving people at a different level. We start allowing them to come in and not judging them. We're not at the gate no more. We're not judges. Well, look at the way she comes. Look at the way she's dressed. She can't be a Christian. Oh, okay, judge, go sit down over there with the law. We didn't ask you to judge. You're not the judge. Amen, you're not the judge. Quit judging people. 
Quit judging people. That's not your call. Have grace. Have grace. If you'll have grace, there'll be provision in your sack. Uh, Somebody say amen. Then he brought Simeon out to them. The word Simeon means hearing. Hearing. That's what it means to hear. So he says, here's what I'm going to do. Because you've come to the door, because you've come through me, I'm going to open your hearing. I'm going to give you prosperity. I'm going to bless you with finances. But I'm also going to open your hearing. And you're going to be able to hear what the Spirit says. You're going to be able to hear what the Master's doing. You're going to be able to understand what I'm doing in the earth. Because I'm going to bring Simeon out to your life. Somebody say amen. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house, gave them water, washed their feet, and gave their donkeys feed. Can somebody shout hallelujah? Oh, I forgot to tell you the rules. If you say amen a whole lot, you get out a lot earlier. (laughs) Somebody say amen. That moved you up. If you don't say amen, I just keep preaching. (laughs) So here we are. Are you following the story so far? So you have a choice. If you go through the gate, you got to live it the hard life. You're going to work every day of your life. You're going to work just like they did in the fields, just like Abraham. And he says you're going to toil in the field like he told Adam. You're going to toil and toil. You're going to labor and toil, and you're going to lose your crops. In other words, you're going to work hard for jobs, and you're going to lose them. That's the curse of the law. That's the curse of the law. You work all your life for your money, and then you lose it trying to buy your health back. That's the curse of the law. But he says, if you come over here to the, cur- uh, to the door of grace, if you come over here to relationship and come through this way, I'll cause money to come into your bag that you didn't know where it's coming from. I'll cause prosperity to come to your life. I'll give you hearing to hear what the Lord's doing. You'll understand and hear from me what to do in your life. When you're wondering about things, I'll be able to speak to you and you can hear me. Somebody say amen. That's what he's telling them. Okay? Now I want to tell you a little something more that the Lord told me to tell you today. Is that all right? Okay. There's all kinds of trouble that we get our lives into. Trouble with our children, trouble with our finances, trouble with our minds, trouble with all kinds of stuff. And I want to read this to you about, to this is for those of you having trouble. Whether it's in your mind, in your finances, your health, whatever. Hosea 2 verse 15 says, I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Accor as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. So he's talking here, the prophet is talking about a door of hope. He's saying there's a door of hope, a certainty. There's a assuredly, there's an amen and amen. There's a truly, truly. There's a covenant. It will happen. I will give a door of hope. I will do this. People often tell me, and I've I've heard them say it to Pastor Masters as well. I've actually heard this said to him uh, years ago. Don't get your hopes too high. Well, I want to tell you something about that today. God says get your hopes as high as you can. God says lift your hopes as high as you can. Raise them all the way to the throne of God. There's a door of hope. Raise your hopes. Don't go around, and I'm afraid to hope for that. What if it doesn't work? Go live by the law if you want to. Well, what if it don't work? What if it does? You have a choice, the gate or the door. Which side do you want to live on? Which side do you want to live on? Okay, so you have to decide. Your kid comes home and he's drunk. Now what do you do? Gate or the door? You want to pound him down. You want to slap the fat out of his face. That's the gate. <laughs> okay, okay, well, I'll keep moving. I won't pre- Man, they pull on family here, boy. They need, a, they need some preaching on that. 
So we have God's grace, God's ability, and we have God's hope, God's certainty. There's tr- there's no, can I say this? There's no trouble too hard for God. No trouble too hard for God. The Bible says it this way in 1 Corinthians 10. God is faithful who will not allow you to be attempted beyond what you're able, but with temptation will also make a what? A way of escape. He'll always give you a door, folks. There's always a door. There's a door in every test you go through. There's a door in every trial you go through. There's a door in every temptation you go through. So you're standing in front of your boss. He's pounding down on you. He's giving you choices, and you're going to have a choice, the gate or the door. The temptation is to do what? The gate. The answer is the door. You're standing in front of your wife. (laughs) You're busted. (laughs) Amen. This is fun now. You have a choice, the gate or the door. You can start, well, I didn't do it. That's the gate. You're justifying yourself. Oh, let's move on. And back to our text, Hosea 2.15. Where do you find this door of hope? In the valley of Accor. In the valley of Accor. That's where you find the door of hope. Now, what does Accor mean? Accor means, the word means trouble. Where do you find hope? In the middle of your trouble. In the middle of your trouble. So in the shadow of the valley, not at the mountaintops, not when everything's going great, when trouble comes in the middle of your debt, in the middle of your health issues, in the middle of your relational struggles, in the middle of your crushing circumstances, God says right in the middle of all of it, open your eyes, Simeon, listen, listen, I'm going to give a prosperity for you. Watch, there's a door here. There's a do- in the middle of your trouble, there's a door. Look for the door. Look for the door. Because if you open that door, there'll be provision on the other side. There'll be a place for you on the other side. The Holy Spirit will speak to you on the other side. Amen. Amen. Now, the, the, everybody will tell you, start doing this. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. If you want to come out of that, you better do this. Don't do that. That's the gate. That's the gate. You go that way, it's going to be a hard, strugglesome way to get through. But if you come to the door... How do you know if you can find the door? Seek. Bible says seek. Knock. He'll open it up for you. All you got to do is ask. All you got to do is ask. Seek and ask. There is a door. I don't know what you're going through. I don't care what you've gone through. I don't care what you've done. There is a door. Seek and ask. You'll find that door. If you find that door, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And once he starts to speak to you, prosperity and blessing will start to come into your life. Somebody say amen. Do you want to step into a life more abundant? Jesus says, come to the door. Do you want to find pasture? Come to the door. If you try to come in any other way, a thief and the robber is going to steal it from you in the end anyway. How many of you have worked so hard to get something, and you worked and you worked and you worked, and you did everything right and lost it all? A thief and a robber because the gate will always take it from you. In the end, the gate will take it from you. So, oh, amen. I know your little brains are thinking right now. But if you'll come to the door, Jesus said there's a pasture there. Your sacks will be filled. You'll have communion with the Holy Spirit. And I want to say one more time, the door is Jesus. It's not Victorious Life. It's not Pastor Masters. It's not Ray the Great. (laughs) It's it's not the good-looking preacher you're listening to today. It's Jesus. Amen. Jesus is the answer. If you'll look for Jesus in any problem you have, any trouble you're going through, any struggles you're living in, and if you open that door, you're going to find an answer. Somebody shout amen. Jesus says it this way in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. 
Amen. So if you're sick today, I was struggling with liver cancer for 12 years, and in that place I found grace. What is grace? God's ability to do in me what I could not do for myself. And I opened that door, and peace flooded in, and sickness had to go. Amen. They can't find no more of that hep C or that liver disease. Nothing is in there. It's all gone in Jesus' name. Okay, because I found him in my valley of trouble, in my valley of trouble. Everybody said, do this, do this, do this. But I just simply said, where's the Lord? And when I found him, I opened that door and peace came in. Peace is the greatest weapon there ever was for fighting disease. Because once you have peace, what can the devil do to you? Our church, we've declared a no cancer zone. We've had all kind of people healed of cancer in our church. Breast cancer, prostate cancer, liver cancer, kidney cancer, what other kind of... Ovarian, oh yeah, I got invited to an ovarian cancer group one day for women, and uh, two of the ladies got healed of ovarian cancer completely, and uh, amen, and so the, the God's opened the doors for us to speak with the National Ovarian Cancer Society, because God heals cancer, but the trick is peace, you got to get peace, and where do you get peace? When you come through the door. You come through the door. If you try to go through the law, you try to go through, while I'm reading every scripture, I'm quoting every healing scripture, I'm doing everything I know to do right, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. You're a perfect little Christian. You're at the gate. Come over here to the door. Have a relationship with a God that loves you, cares about you. Am I saying we don't learn our scriptures? I'm not saying that. Should we study our scriptures? Sure. Should we know our scriptures? Sure. But not to get God to do something. God's already done something 2,000 years ago. That's not to get God to do something. That's just so you can build your relationship with God. But the key to healing is to come to the door, let his peace come into you. He begins to heal your diseases. He begins to give you prosperity in your lack. Lack has to go out because prosperity comes in. Amen. Sickness has to go out because health comes in. Amen, somebody. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.